Not sure what sports are provided in Calgary? Sport Calgary Sports Directory will help you find the sport and the sports organization that's right for you. Visit sportcalgary.ca to learn more. Hey kids, how you holding up? How you doing? How you, how's everybody? You hanging in there? Uh, it's, it's your old po- podcasting pal, Rob Kirk. Uh, glad you could uh, jump aboard with us. Glad you're here for this one. It's another original Six Feet Conversation podcast. Uh, a little news before we get going. Uh, starting next week, we are going to kind of peel back to the summer. Uh, we're going to drop a, a new podcast every week, so we'll we'll keep consistency there. Uh, and then we'll look in the fall. I think we might increase it back up to to three a week. But uh, right now, I think we're we're just for July and August. I think uh, you know things are going to quiet down. People are going to be outside, um, so we're going to take a little bit of a break here. I mean, my gosh, we've done over fifty of these. Um, it's been pretty awesome to say the least. Uh, but just so you're not caught off guard, I think we're going to actually, uh, because they were coming so fast and furious there, I think we're going to throw some, uh, early ones back up there in case you missed it. So, uh, if you, uh, enjoy the podcast, if you enjoy the conversations, because they are Calgary based, they're about Calgary, Calgary sports, Calgary people in sport. Um, you know, it, it, it's a lot of, uh, you know, local which I love, especially in the podcasting genre. You don't always get that. This is what makes it so much fun for me. So I just thought I'd give you a little heads up on that. Uh, This week, full disclosure, a friend of mine, a guy that uh, I actually is part of Sport Calgary. He's a director with Sport Calgary. Um, I'm also uh, working with him on the Active City uh, Collective um, project, which is very – and I bump into him everywhere. Look, I've spent most of my adult life – in and around sports, most of my adult life in and around hockey, particularly. Um, if if I was going to explain who Jason Ribeiro is to you, I would say that he is a bona fide top five pick. Um, he's going to go uh, first overall in, in life's draft. He will play a thousand games and would not surprise me to see him in the Hall of Fame. Um, by that, I mean, this is a guy to, you better get to know now. Because you're really going to know him down the road. He is a leader, a mentor. Um, he is. Uh, he's a. He, he's. I don't know how to describe him. Well, his day to day job. He's the director of strategy at Calgary Economic Development. Um, but he's so much more than that. And I think he's a guy. And I don't want to. I don't want to peg him and pigeonhole him and, and say he's going to be this or he's going to be that. Maybe he doesn't want to get into politics. But if the guy wants to get into politics, he's going to lead. Uh, he's going to make our communities better. I just think the world of him, again, I think he's a, a top draft pick if, if I was looking at the game of life right now. And uh, it's keep your eye on him. Just keep your eye on him because he's going to be a lot of fun. And this conversation is really cool. Not necessarily what I expected. Uh, yeah, maybe I did. I, it's a bit of a redemption story. Maybe I didn't expect that, but really cool. And, and much like most of the guests around here on this podcast, Jason's warm and open and has no problem. To, and there's a real basketball theme to it. Uh, so before we get to Jason, just a reminder, Sport Calgary acts as a resource for sports organizations with a ton of information available at sportcalgary.ca. Learn about community and coaching resources, research, jobs, and, of course, the latest in Calgary sport. Ladies and gentlemen, we go one-on-one with the Jason Ribeiro. Oh, you got your first Father's Day coming up this Sunday. <laughs> Father and son day, man. It's uh, it's wild. Like I, I didn't even, you know, kind of put that uh, two and two together on that for for a while. And then my, my, I think my wife obviously had mentioned it, and I had not listened 
uh, during the pregnancy. Hey, by the way, we you know after he's born, it'll be Father's Day relatively soon. But a week ago, it just hit me like, whoa, that's um, a doozy. But we are, you know, extremely, extremely happy. Um, it's just been an awesome first month. Um, oh, I, I, I've hit record, so we may as well just roll. Um, how's it? Let's do it. How's it? Let's use that as a launching point. I mean, this has been a very bizarre, weird, trying, uh, just you can use all the adjectives the last three months of what we've gone through, but kind of a unique twist for you in the sense of then you become a first time father, parent. How how has that impacted this experience? It's um, it's hard to put in words and that's, uh, you know, rarity for me, but um, it's, it floors you, you know, like I... I think that a lot of what COVID has presented for families, for businesses, has been extremely challenging. Um, But with myself and with my family, there's just been this incredible silver lining, Mm. which is that, you know, for the last three months of our pregnancy, I was able to be home. And I was not at home as often as I would have liked before. And luckily, I have a very, you know, independent, brilliant wife who I think has been able to work with me and we've been able to work together to afford us the time to grow professionally and personally. Um, But that is that was a game changer. Um, And then after he was born, the ability, especially because there's so much that needs to be done in the city in response to COVID from our economy um, and just the number of different hats I wear, you know, I, I. it wasn't an option to me to just withdraw and just say, you know what, I've, I've earned the right. Let me just be a dad yeah. and the rest will go away. I, I, I've, I just have it in my DNA to sort of try and balance as best I can all of it. And so I took, you know, five working days and then I was back at it. But the only thing that allowed me to do that was that I got to be at home. And so when I could hang up, you know, a call with, um, you know, a business leader or a community member, I could go right to my son and help my wife. So there's been this immense, you know, silver lining that I'm incredibly grateful for because I would have been in the office. I would have been out. Um, and now I'm here. Um, but at the same point in time, I think I hope for all of us, it's put a lot of things in perspective um, that and it's a central point I go back to. If if people aren't first in what you're thinking about, whether that's you as a, a husband or a father, you as a business owner and, and taking care of your team and your staff. Hmm. Um, you, know, you, you, don't, you don't really have a long runway to get things done. And so hopefully for me and for others, it's put a lot of um, things in perspective. Jason, with the, 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 I guess, the way that we have to handle COVID and the preventive measures, how did that impact your participation in the arrival? Were you able to be yeah. there? Super interesting. You know, one of the the misnomers, I think, um, when uh, people are thinking about a hospital in the midst of a pandemic is that that is the place you need to stay as far uh, as hell away from. Um, but I think the opposite is true. You know, a lot of people, I think, um, have that in their mind. So they, you know, if their knee is tweaked a little bit, they'll wait a, a little bit before they go. And so it was it was very, very quiet, actually, around uh, the, the hospital and for my wife's uh, checkups. Um, and uh, what that what that provided, I think, and, and I, I, my wife works at the Health Sciences Center. Mm. Um, she's also doing her, her PhD in epidemiology. So I was well aware of every risk. By the way, PhD in epidemiology focusing on mums of newborns. And so <laughs> I, I knew everything 
So tell me she's getting credit for this. This has got to be some sort of project, right? This is going to be this, you know, this has got to be part of it. She's got to capture it in some in some way. But so I knew everything, you know, more yeah. than most, I think, that, that could have you know gone wrong and could have been challenging. But I'll say, you know, incredibly professional hmm. um, and thoughtful and caring Alberta Health Services, doctors, nurses, all uh, nurses, all frontline workers. Um, and then, you know, what was interesting was since everything was a little bit quiet at the at the hospital, you know, there wasn't a lot of people around. So I got to be, you know, masked up but there for the full ride um, and, uh, and and even afterwards. And so there were no limitations on my involvement and, and I had planned to be um, very involved, you know, through pregnancy recovery, et cetera. So um, not a lot of, not a lot of changes, but again, a deeper level of appreciation, I think for all of those frontline workers who were there for everything we needed. It went, went well, no, no complications. It was, it was straightforward. Nothing, no issues. So interesting. Um, interesting. You know, we, the pregnancy for us, I think was bliss, hmm. you know, and, and you hear about all the horror stories and, you know, a, a friend of mine just said, look, this is going to look completely unique for you. Everyone's going to tell you a bunch of stuff, but you know, what, what happens for you guys will be what happens for you guys. Yeah. So pregnancy was bliss, no real issues. Um, uh, 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 my wife who, you know, I think has to put up with me, who's very obsessive um, and, and and overly focused. You know, I saw a, a different level to her during the delivery, and that was, you know, my son. There were no complications, but he was just inching forward very slowly. And I think for new moms, they they push for about two or three hours. And my wife just went into like demon mode and ended up saying, "Look, I'm good. I can push for as long as it takes." And she pushed it to, you know, the limits to about four and a half hours. Ooh. And the doctor said, you know, look, you know, I don't think how, based on, you know, your anatomy, um, you know, I don't, I don't think we're, we're going to get uh, him out without assistance. It's nothing to do with what you're doing. Um, so fast forward to, we ended up having an emergency C-section. And, you know, within two minutes, when I say, you know, they're incredibly professional, thoughtful, it's because within two minutes we were signing forms and I was scrubbed into an OR mm-hmm. uh, watching my heart be cut open. And so um, everything went well, you know, couldn't have, couldn't have been um, more, more properly executed. And the doctor said to us, you know, it's likely that this was the only way it was going to come out. Um, so again, very intense at the end. Um, but mom and baby are, are doing uh, better than, than ever. And my wife, even after a C-section, I think was out for a walk the next day. So yeah. we're all, we're all good. Helpless feeling though, eh? Like it's, yeah, it's the, it's the worst. It's, it's the worst. <clears throat> it's rare for me, right? Like I think that I, I do so much to try and be, you know, of use. Um, and yeah. I, I can find something that I can offer at that time. And, you know, I think my wife and I, I think reflected fondly back, you know, one of the nurses came up to us after and said, you know, you guys are a really good team. Like I've never seen like two people work their way through this really, uh, really like that. Um, but in that moment when you're in the OR, there's nothing you can do. No. Um, nothing. Uh, the only thing I could do was steal a moment just before we were going in to call my wife's mother, which I know meant a lot to her, yeah. to say, this is what's going to happen, and I'm going to do as best I can to take care of everything. But helpless is the exact word, Rob. Like, you know, but uh, that's why we have you know, these amazing professionals to, to take, take over when you can. Dude, I, our youngest, uh, we got caught in traffic when uh, Frankie went into labor, and I tried to take a shortcut, and I got caught 
uh, at Heritage and uh, 14th when uh, a truck had hit the bridge, so it was all closed. So I'm up on the Meridian on the phone with a 911 operator, and they're asking me if I've got a sharp object, so a knife or something, so I can start this. Needless to say, we get we get an ambulance, we get taken to Foothills, not Rocky View, which okay. And they're right. they're calling codes and everything like that. And exactly what you said, the professionalism, the organization and everything. And you and I felt like half an inch tall and I'm useless, absolutely useless. Right. Like it's well, it's incredible. Like this, this, this doctor, I just said, like, you know, just for like a, a man to man moment, I was just like, this is a, this is the most you know, intelligent, attractive man I've ever met. (laughs) I'm like completely useless. Yeah. My, you know, you know, Natalie, are you sure you do not want to leave me for this man? Like, this is just, I I was floored. And I I think what it provides, I think again, is that perspective we talked about earlier. It's just like, that's every day for them, every single day. And as important as you think the work that you're doing is when it comes down to life and death, um, that's, that's when, all the chips are on the table um, and you really see, you know, what, what the, the work they do up front. You hope that you don't have to be in that position again to see that. Yeah. But you always hope, I think, that you have the comfort of, of peace of mind that it's always there if she should never need it. And it, it, it kind of hit home for me. And I wonder if you share the same thing. There's two guys that spend a lot of time in the world of sports. Yeah. Um, boy, you see team in a whole different way. You see strategy. You see, like, they're as good as any pro team out there when it comes to doing their job. It's this, it really is striking to me that way. Yeah, well, I, I thought, like, you know, you, you would have thought you were on the on the, on the the ice and, and behind the bench, yeah. right? Like, it was that quick. And, and I even thought about this, you know, in relation to sport. Um, so while I rep for Calgary all days and all ways – I grew up a Dallas Stars hockey fan okay. because the first full year that I remember watching an NHL season, I was nine years old. And it was, you know, these 99 Dallas Stars with Medano and Hull and Zubov and uh, Belfour. And it was just an unbelievably physical, mean sort of team in the West. And I just was completely enamored with them. Sure. And so I've been a Stars fan my whole, my whole life. And I remember uh, four or five years ago when Rich Peverly uh, went down behind the bench right. with yeah. a heart issue. Yep. Um, and I remember being up, and I, I got used to, at the time, watching these uh, West Coast games. And so it would be really late at night um, back when I was in on Ontario. And I remember just being dark, watching this, and replaying over and over again what they had done, how quickly they had done it, Yep. And these these emergency frontline professionals, how they worked. And when we were um, told that we would need to have a C-section and then the papers were there and they were strategizing, they moved, the room changed, I was scrubbed in, all that kind of stuff. That's in me, That's actually what in post what registered in my mind was, whoa, this happened within the blink of an eye. And in relation to sport, I can only think of, you know, one other example in my mind fairly recently where that had happened. And that was when Rich Peverly went down and they were able to, to take care of him. But the same whites in everyone's faces, yep. uh, Lindy Ruff, Sagan, uh, I remember um, uh, uh, both the Ben brothers as well, like just like everything drained from their face. I'm like, oh, that must, must have been what I look like because just uh, just a huge amount of teamwork and, and communication that was supremely important. Yeah, it's a great analogy. The same thing with Jay Bowmeister this year, the, the same thing with Yuri Fisher a number of years ago. It always, 
you know, and I go all the way back to Clint Malarchuk. I mean, Clint will absolutely tell you it was the trainer of Buffalo that saved his life. And uh, it's... You've taken me to a really interesting point. So I want to stay on course, but I trust me, we are coming back to this point in a second. You're tell leading me, this dance, bro. No, I know that, but th- this is an interesting transition. First, I need to know, tell me about those phone calls. Baby's born, healthy, Wade, you get her, get him. Then you get back to mom, you exit. Now you get to make the phone calls. How, how much fun are those phone calls? Very, very fun. Um, and especially because now phone calls are FaceTime. Right. right? Yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Yeah. I, you know, but like I, 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 in my mind, like live in a different era, like, like this, like Mad Men 1950s where like I'm waiting in a lobby and I'm going to a payphone and uh, things like that. So it was, it was very different from what I had uh, sort of expected. And I also, you know, to your point earlier, I sort of expected, especially with the pandemic that you know, they would have pushed dad to the side a little bit mm. or whoever your support person was, and they didn't. So the, you know, it threw out that sort of conception very quickly. But, you know, I think particularly for my wife's family, because, you know, for me, my relationship with my my folks is, you know, we're good at a distance. I think we're very independent like that. But my wife is incredibly close with her family. And, you know, she's she's in Calgary and everyone back home is in Ontario. So to make those calls and to bring them into the fold, uh, you know, beyond the texts I was doing, beyond the, the very sporadic FaceTimes I was able to do during labor, but to, you know, bring them into the fold with my son, Mateo, and my wife, and everyone was okay. The relief and just pure elation and joy on their faces and in their voices is something that's, you know, even in the haze of no sleep and, and uh, you know, uh, you know complete, complete and utter stress, is something you'll just never get back. It was unbelievable. Okay, so I told you I go in a different direction. You are one of the smartest guys I know, and probably one of the uh, quickest on their feet. So ninety nine foots in the crease. What is your defense to that? Um, oh. What when somebody says, "Oh, you're a Stars fan," yeah, but nineteen ninety nine. What is your defense to Hull's foot in the crease? Look, I, I think that, you know, we this this could be the whole podcast. Like, <laughs> believe me, I don't justify this. And, and you know what's so interesting about this is growing up in, in Ontario, particularly close to the the Buffalo border. Yeah. I used to, that, that, other than the one Leaf game a year, the only other game that I got to see was in Buffalo. And I went in full Stars gear, right? Like, look, the rules were what the rules were. I think that you, and, and it also came full circle for me because Lindy ended up being the coach for Dallas. Right. Um, and I have a lot of appreciation for, for Lindy Ruff. Look, you know, I, I think, you know, this is one of the rare thing, times where less is more because, you know, te- technically I don't, I don't have much to stand on, but at the same point in time, look, you know, I think, I think just the way the momentum, I remember watching even to this day, the way the momentum was tracking, I think it was inevitable regardless um, uh, I, I think that was ours to take. Look, foot in the crease is problematic, and I'll leave it at that. But at the same point in time, you know, it's good to at least have seen, um, I think, some sort of clarity going forward right. for for the least. You don't end up in that position, and I, it's not a position that I've actually I envied for the stripes on that one either. Yeah, the, the, it saw that the the arena was going to explode, um, and and everyone was on the the edge of their seats. So. I'm going to plead the fifth on this one as 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 quick as I can be um, and stammer a little bit more. But um, it was the result that I think it was inevitable, challenging. I understand, 
if I was a Buffalo Sabres fan at that time, <laughs> I would be very, very upset. But thank goodness I'm not. So two things have come out of it. One, how much is that particular call an, an, an analogy or an allegory for what you do you know, in real life in terms of advocating politics, policy, that, yes, it's a rule, but there's also the spirit of the rule, and there's also common sense, there's also letting them play. But, Rob, those are all sports terms. Mm, maybe, but there are also things that we do have to put into governance and, and how we put into real life, don't we? Yeah, I think it's a salient point, right? To run with that, like, uh, I, th- I think... I think where where it can be challenging, and this is something in leadership. I think in in governance and policies, as you as you mentioned. Yep. You know, there's a there's, I think a tendency at times, and this and this I think was, you know, institutionalized in schools of management for a long period of time. You know, with my sort of research hat on, where you got really uh, finicky and obsessed with the process, mm-hmm. because if if pros if you followed the process, you know, to the letter the outcome would always be good. And I think what we've reached, I think particularly in the sort of mid-90s into the 2000s, I think especially with these big disruptors like the internet. Yep. Um, and now if you go to you know digital technologies like artificial intelligence, you have to kind of throw that out um, because everything is in flux and you actually you know have to deal with a little bit about you know the unknown. And so you know to close that that thought out, look, I think we need to be outcomes focused, right? And you know, you talked about the spirit of the rule, and what you're able to, to to see at the time is the call that you're able to make. And I think if that's the outcome that you're focused on, if that's what you can see with all that information, it's easy to go back and sort of critique um, from an armchair quarterback perspective to switch sports for a second, yep, and critique where the process failed, or or, or hey, it's it's here, it's there, it's whatever. But when you get to the common sense point, when you get to that, the spirit of the rule, and when you get to the outcome. Um, being something that you think you can live with, or hopefully in in um, leadership, in business, in policy, in governance, you're really just focusing on the outcome. And if the outcome is, you know, better results for people, better results in that game, um, that were more true to the spirit or the letter of the rule, then that's what I think should stand um, uh, going forward versus the very, very easy nature of being able to pick and poke holes uh, within the process. I believe it was February, might have been March of 2012. Uh, I got to call my first game in Buffalo. Did the first period. I think it was one nothing Sabres after the first. Decided I needed a drink, so media or just went back to the you know where where the pop was, and I was just going to get a diet coke. And there was two guys standing there. They were arguing about that. They were arguing about the foot in the crease. I was in Buffalo, first time in my life, first intermission. Two guys at work there were arguing about that goal. Thirteen years later. Like, it was the most surreal. Now, if it was the second time I went, or if it was, you know, after the game, but right the first intermission, and I go and I just happen to intercept and interrupt a argument between two guys that work for the Buffalo Sabres about that goal, which was surreal to me. But I want your opinion on this. Are we in danger? Are we in danger here in Calgary of becoming the same thing with Marty Jell and his goal in 2004? <laughs> That's... That's a very good question, and and I have a unique perspective. You know, to back up to being in that arena, look, you know, when I would go, like, I, I swear to God, in the arena on a given night when the Sabres were playing the Stars, you could find the Stars jerseys and count them on two hands. Sure. Like, it's, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. 
it's yes it's 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 rare and I, I go to a lot of a lot of games in a lot of different places um in my and i've had the privilege of doing so in my life but it's rare that i see like that amount of dominance um for for the home team and um so i've been used to like you know walking up to my seat and just someone saying foot in the crease foot in the crease like, like, <laughs> didn't count, didn't count, was stolen. like and and i love it like it, sure. was, it used to be the biggest biggest joy yeah Look, I, I think we I, I think we are i don't think well i don't i think that was a seminal moment because it happened first um and and when when you're dealing with that level of a game like a Stanley Cup winning goal, right? Um, uh, it's it's just a whole different it's a whole different level. I think that the where where the Flames are concerned, um, you know, we have we I, I think as a team, and I say we because I've you know slowly slowly tried to, to <laughs> there you go. That's what we like to hear. <laughs> That's what we yes. like to hear. Yeah, yeah, and and I'm wearing my my stamps. There uh, you go. That's right. Um. I think that there's there's so many other moments that are completely seminal. I think for for Dallas, what's been challenging for me as a fan has been um, there's been these good runs, but there was nothing like that. And and I mean like that run of not only that Stanley Cup win, but the the trip back as well mm-hmm. um, the, the year after against the Devils. Um, I have been waiting my almost entire adult life for that moment. I think the Flames have had um, some other moments that I don't think reach that level. Um, but I will share that the, the one thing that just came into my mind actually, um, because he's an icon I had a lot of time for in the city, which is Jerome. Yep. Um, I, I remember, cause I'm trying to rack my brain about, you know, there's obviously the new indict connection between the two, but, but the one thing that I, I think doesn't get a lot of play is when Jamie Ben and Jerome fought, Yep. which is not often t- talked about. And Jerome actually, this is like, I think Jamie Ben was a rookie or a second year at the time and literally got one off clean um, in his face. And I'd never seen Jerome, like actually that stunned before. Yep. And Jerome outlasted him in, in the end. But this this Calgary-Dallas connection is one that in my time here, I've just like tried to rack my brain for these like these other moments. And that's one that sticks out in my mind. But the official answer is no, I don't think we're, I don't think we're there yet. <laughs> Nothing will touch the 99 foot in the crease sort of moment. And for you youngsters out there who may not know the history, Jerome was drafted by the Dallas Stars. So, exactly. Right? Yeah, there's so many, so many different There is so many different connections. And, oh, Craig Button was on that team as, you know, part of the management, Roman Turek. And, and they all have yeah. these yeah, – there's all kinds of great callbacks. Um, okay, so where where okay? Let me ask you this way because it'll work out perfectly. Where did your dad make the phone calls about you being born? Where did that happen? Yeah, interesting. Um, so I was born in uh, Hamilton, Ontario. Okay. Um, uh, you know, I'm the firstborn in my family, and I think at the time it was sort of more that 1950s conception <laughs> of uh, having kids. So I, I think he had gone home. To be honest, is what I. <laughs> been pulled and um and came back and, and interesting enough full circle like you know my wife was a c-section baby i was a c-section mm-hmm. baby so there was that um you know sort of minor moment of of uh kind of complications and but but also a similar thing that i empathize with which was you know a lot of the family or extended family was in mississauga toronto so close but still you know hour hour and yep. change away yeah and so i did feel at that moment very similar in that um yeah it's just us and i didn't necessarily 
think about that as as a sort of negative. I really, you know, I'm one of these, I don't think it's a rarity, but like I just like I just have the highest opinion of my wife. Like I love this woman sure. just more than I can put into words. And the fact that we did this in a pandemic, the two of us, and now the three of us is something that just, you know, just floors me uh, sort of every day. And I think we don't, I think we need to take, it's been a month, but I think we need to take more moments to just like, and she reminds me of this, you know, we did this. And so there was a marked, uh, market difference that way. But, uh, I do remember it was, um, uh, obviously it was summer, very, very hot. I've been told, uh, August 17th. Um, and I was born with an extremely full head of hair. And if this was a, um, <laughs> If this was a video. Okay, yeah, it's not, but share the picture. there's a contrast. <laughs> there's a contrast. Absolutely. So you yeah. grew you grew up in and around the Hamilton area in that in that southern part of Ontario. What what was a young Jason Ribeiro into sports wise? What what did you what were your sports of choice? Yeah, so I think I think you know as a Canadian kid, you know hockey is this just you know behemoth that you you just cannot avoid and right you know. Um, you know, so very, very early on in skates, I was lucky enough to live around the, the street from a rink. Mm-hmm. Um, so very early there, soccer as well. Yep. Um, um, you know, very uh, big European connection within the within our, our neighborhood and our survey. And so uh, very, very quick to soccer. But I'll tell you, and it's interesting to see as an adult how this has grown. I never really... You know, I was I was good. I was good enough. You know what I mean? Like yep. I, I knew the fundamentals and I knew enough of what to do. But when basketball took off um, in in Ontario, particularly with the creation of the Raptors franchise, something different happened to me. And I, and I don't think it registered as much with my friends. Like very much, I think um, you know the the affinity for their parents was still you know hockey was still soccer. I played baseball growing up as well. Like I literally played every single sport that you could yep. um, in elementary school, and then in high school settled on um, you know basketball and 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 soccer, and then you know beer league um, <laughs> sort of hockey. Um, but basketball, that was like a game changer for me. Uh, I used to go to Bulldogs games, I used to go to Leafs games, but that first game that I saw at the ACC at the time, yeah. um, where they played the Knicks, and I got to see you know Ewing, Sprewell. Alan Houston and these guys, but then also, you know, Hakeem Olajuwon was a Raptor at the time. Sure. And Vince changed everything. I would spend hours, you know, limited in height, you know, I'm a, you know, average height, slightly above average, but it didn't matter. That w- that was a fundamental game changer for me. And to see full circle now, not only a championship, but how the sport has grown and how the sport has grown, particularly within diverse, diverse communities yep. um, where, you know, the cost to access is very minimal. The public access is, is really, really great. It's just been this huge full circle moment that I can't wait to share with my son. Well, a great example of, of sports is a community builder, right? You know, yeah. and an empower and the empowerment of sport. How much of Jordan was into that? Because that would have been just the tail end, like the Jordan influence, right? Oh my God. Right. Like I, I remember watching the last two championships and that was like NBA on NBC to this day. There has been no holier sports moment for me than NBA on NBC. Like we'll never get that back. I'm a fan of TNT. I'm a fan of ABC. Yep. It's all great. But like uh, that, when that, you know, uh, that theme music hit yep. and you saw the logo, it was as close to a religious experience in my house for, for, for me. And 
you know, I think my parents will, will admit this, like they, they didn't take much interest in this. And, you know, we, we had a very sort of hands off, like distant relationship. I self taught a lot of things, um, for my, for myself. And so being there on a Sunday afternoon at 12 o'clock and these, these triple headers would come on, right? Like you Absolutely. see, you, see yep. the, the, bet. The, the early afternoon game, the late afternoon game, and then you get that primetime game. I would watch them all. So Jordan's discipline and I, I've watched, you know, I was watching all of the last dance stuff. I couldn't relate more to anything, the obsession, the, the drive to do what is necessary, the reflection on, you know, in some ways, things that you understand could be challenging for others, but mm -hmm. you can't argue with the success of it. And it goes back to that. It's very easy to poke holes at the process. It's very easy to look back and say, Mike, you should have done this. You would have been much more liked if you did this, yeah. or, you know, uh, you could have done both. But at the same point in time, he was outcomes focused with the tools that he had at the time, dealing with an immense amount of, I think, both pressure and pain. And the pain one is super interesting to me um, because I've, I've, I've dealt with that at times. Um, and so, so Jordan, you know, Vince, I think I'll never get as close to a moment, um, and relationship with an athlete like those Raptors years for Vince, but as a, you never got to really know Vince personally, Michael, you felt you knew, you knew everything about him. He was in this own category, even though he was distant and mythical. Hmm. Um, I'll never relate to another athlete like what, what Jordan has articulated, uh, back then and, and now. So that's interesting to me. Do you feel differently now having watched The Last Dance? Did that change? No. It didn't. It, it Did it enforce what you thought? Did it reinforce? Yeah, okay. Um, oh, yeah. Like, I, I, I could, even at the time, like, I, as a kid, I wasn't, you know, as fully focused as I was now. But I understood, like, I, I just felt like I had an understanding of what he was doing. And what needed, like, I remember watching the flu game. And I get that, you know, it's been, you know, romanticized. But I just like I felt so um, just in awe of that determination. And with Vince, it was very different because Vince, you know, half man, half amazing mm -hmm. was very like you just felt like he had this natural ability. You know, when he talked about the dunk contest after he said, like, I just like practiced that the day before or yeah. something like, yeah. you know, you know, it, it was just, I, I Michael in all of his interviews, it was no, I, I'll just play pickup with anyone. And, you know, those dream team uh, sort of scrimmages, you know, I'll just I'll go hard in a practice and make you pay for thinking that you could ever think you could guard me. That, that's yeah, that's the difference that I've always recognized. See that because I watched those in real time without the benefit of social media, without the benefit of the Internet, you we watched them once. We saw them. We read a little bit in a magazine or a newspaper. That's how we were informed. Having watched The Last Dance, I did not understand at the time how much personal motivation how he used a slight to drive himself that he motivated himself that way i just because of gretzky and lemieux in the 80s they just went out and did it so i just assumed all superstars just went out and did you just went out and did it that's what you do but in the last dance, they did such a great job of illustrating how he just looked for something that he could perceive as a slight so that he could jam it down your throat. That's what motivated him. That was fascinating to me. Oh, yeah. Like, and, and the only reason I think I felt um, like I knew it at the time was because I was very attracted to uh, reading biographies at a very young age. Like, gotcha. it was a voracious. Yeah. And so not only the mic stuff, but I noticed like a common pattern with a certain kind of person. 
And the other Mike that often gets compared to, to Michael brought up is Michael Jackson. And so I also was extremely fascinated by Michael Jackson at the time. Um, and and I, I really, you know, was challenged by a lot of, you know, I'm, I'm a kid, challenged by a lot of the, you know, the, you know, facial changes, mm-hmm. you know, the, um, you know, relationship I felt with the media that was always antagonistic, Um, you know, fascination with children. I I thought, you know, quite bluntly, I thought he was a very weird guy. But when he was dancing at Motown 25, when he was doing a lot of these things, I was just transfixed. And I would read these stories. And there's a similar chip um, that registered with him where he would read these reviews. Like he would read these reviews. He would see what people said. And then he would go into his like... um, his vanity area or his, or his washroom where he, we, he woke up every day and would write things on the mirror. Um, um, and that would motivate him because they were slights that were given and he always felt he didn't get his due. That was the one commonality. I saw a lot of these figures that informed, um, a lot of my thinking when I was younger. And the second commonality I think was they had this great reverence for people that came before them. Um, Michael Jordan, whenever he's asked the question about, Who's the GOAT? How are, you know, you're, yep. you're clearly the GOAT. You are LeBron. He says, the fact that you're bringing up LeBron is insulting to, to Wilt. It's insulting to George Gervin. It's insulting yep. to, to Julius. It's insulting to Bill Russell. And I don't think you can do that. And what Michael Jackson, you know, every time he talked, he would talk about Jackie Wilson, James Brown, Fred Astaire, Gene Kelly. And when you look at his work, um, those music videos, they're almost, you know, direct sort of reinterpretations of like 1940s or 1930s movies. And I know Michael was obsessive, um, Jordan in this case, about watching these guys, asking these questions. And so the, you know, passing of Kobe Bryant, I think really informed that to me because these are all students. These are all students that were obsessed with learning about James Brown. How do you hit that move? Tell me how you do it. Mike, how do you get that distance on your fadeaway? You feel the defense with your knees. That learning process from when I was a kid till now has just been the most fascinating thing. And uh, so that's the that's the thing that I've, I've just always recognized and empathized with, even before I could even see it reflected in a newspaper, right? Did, I just felt that sort of kinship. Did you read Jordan's Rules? The Jordan yes. Rules? So do you read that in the time frame, like... Yeah. Yeah. As soon, as soon as it was was relatively, I think it was what mid nineties. Yeah. 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 So how did because that is a stream that is a, a kind of a thread through the um, you know the last dance. Um, how did that inform your perspective on all of this? It did right, like, and, and it was one of several books I'd read. Yeah. Um, uh, about Jordan, right? And so I thought there was a lot of interesting inside baseball, right? And and I also felt that. Um, so much of Jordan rules, I think, impacted sports and sports reporters at mm-hmm, the time, mm-hmm. but really didn't inform the broader narrative. The like be like Mike brand at the time was so big and so ominous that, you know, it's very easy to go back again and pick up, hey, you know, Mike didn't endorse this particular person from a political party. Oh, Mike had this quote. Yeah. And, 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 and this is a cultural moment for us, I think, in a broader sense where everyone's past is being reinterpreted within the context of the present. And so I still, I think at the time and being a young kid, however, I'm not going to overstate what I could tell at the time, but I remember reading it and being like, this is, this is not really informing the broader perception that I think people are having about Jordan. I'll file it away. 
And certainly in a lot of the research I've done about these people that were just really excellent in their fields, um, you know, uh, Bill Clinton, I think at the time yep. was, was still president and they were being books. Kennedy, it's very easy to go back and then point at the time, but at the point of, in time, Kennedy was Kennedy, Clinton was Clinton, Reagan was Reagan, um, and Jordan was Jordan. And so I, I filed it away, but didn't give it um, sort of much thought into the broader conception of who Mike was. It, it, I like the way you framed it, because I, I, I felt one of the criticisms of the last, because I just felt like we live in a in, in time where we can't have, we can't enjoy something without at least pointing to a flaw. And the flaw was, well, it's very much from Michael Jordan's point, or uh, perspective. Yes, exactly. That's that's what it's about. So, you know, there you go. Um, thir- them's the breaks, right? Right. Like, them's the breaks. Like you know, that's you you you. In life, you get certain luxuries afforded to you if you're if you if you if you set the the table right. He set the table to be able to allow that to be filmed, and then yep. he set the table for it allowed to be released. And it's it's never going to be as pure as we might think. There's always. A positionality to how it will come out, and then we can take it for what it is and and question it. But I'm I'm more grateful that we have it than I am worried about. Um, hey, this is flawed in these particular ways, so I'm not going to put much stock in it. I think the, the the pros outweigh the cons. Yeah, and I and also I think there's a, a little bit like the man himself. That particular documentary was uh, the fact that there was this you know this behind the scenes stuff sitting for 20 years never seeing the light of day to be able to come out when it came out it was a, a perfect storm and it was great all right so you established it high school you were playing basketball uh was there any thought of you know were you going anywhere or uh, there there was there was fantasy i think i think what happens in high school for me um which is markedly different i think from where i i was right now like i was like this very high performer i think as a kid in elementary school i did every sport um you know public speaking science fair like i just thought that's what you did and i had parents you know uh you know for for better or worse who pushed me to sort of do those things yeah and i think that's rooted in a very you know real challenge for i think a number of um uh parents who come to this country um with their children or um, um or excuse me before their children are born you know my dad has you know, a sort of technical college degree from the UK and, you know, automotive uh, um, um, manufacturing and, and technician skills. Mm-hmm. Um, but even though it was from England, when he came to Canada, they didn't recognize it. Even though it's from the same Commonwealth, they said, we don't have any sort of equivalency for this. It's basically like having nothing. Yeah. My mom came here, um, you know, fairly young, I think in her uh, mid-teens, no formal education. So I understand the need to like push to do all those things. So when I got to high school, I think the, the, the not necessarily the pressure, but the, I didn't see the point in it anymore. So I drifted farther and farther away. And what suffered as a result of it, I think was the discipline I not only had academically, but the discipline I had with sports. You know, I was, you know, had the worst habits, um, uh, you know, waking up and eating breakfast, not a, not a, not a concept to me. Uh, going to the gym after school without a full meal, you know, and weightlifting, you know, what good was I doing? Like it was, it was ridiculous. And so I think it certainly reflected in my performance on the court and on the field. And then I think, you know, I talked about Jordan and that, that pain yeah. and how that sort of shifts. I was not at the most emotional maturity. I think when similar things happened to me, where I think the sort of fractured relationship with my parents, a lot of the pressures of being a young teen, you do, you get tempted by other things. And quite openly, you know, the allure of 
not being present was very, very transfixing for me. So that's when you get into, you know, drugs, you get into drinking. And I started very early. And I think for me, never really came full circle to who I was as a kid until I got clean and sober um, uh, six years ago. And then it was like this rediscovering, it was the most beautiful thing ever. It was like this rediscovering of myself being like, no, no, this thing that you've been fighting against and trying to numb or, or have a proxy for this and that you, you, you can be good just being you now. And so, yeah, I, I never thought that I, I would have the discipline or the focus to do anything with sports, but I genuinely, um, genuinely had an affection for it. I just didn't, I wasn't there personally to be able to give it all I could. Based on the timeline you just gave me and what I know about your background, based off your website, by the way, and I'll, I publicize, I will push that, but were you, <laughs> you must've been on some level, a functional a- addict. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, and I, I don't know. Uh, I, I think that's, a, that's just, um, uh, like a gift You go back to Vince, like just talent. Like, I think, you know, I, I, I knew enough to coast, right. And I knew enough to, to do these other things. And I think at a particular point in time for me, um, where it just got to a point where I wanted to make a change was I finally liked what I was doing. Mm -hmm. Like I finally found a value in, you know, at the time it was research and all of these people were saying, you know, you have, you have something to say and you know, you have a different way of looking at things and you're, you're asking interesting questions about the future of learning or the future of education or uh, the future of cities you know, that's interesting. And I remember being at a specific moment, I'll, I'll mention two, two moments that were game changers for me. And, you know, the first was, you know, my supervisor at the time who was supervising my research, we were at a social event with a lot of big heavy hitters in policy and academia. And she introduced me to someone and she meant it in the most complimentary fashion, because I think this person was from Nashville, you know, you know, very into bourbon. And, you know, my supervisor introduced me and said, you know, this is Jason. He's this, you know, really wonderful student. He's doing this awesome research and he really knows how to throw him back. And for a moment, you know, I was, you know, you know, it was very folksy and, and charming. But at the same point in time, I was like, is that who you want to be introduced as? And, and then the second piece was, I remember, um, you talk about Jordan and these slights. I remember being at, uh, actually, it was the Raptors Brooklyn series um, in the playoffs where Masai um, notoriously got fined. Yep. And I was at Real Sports. And, you know, it would have been an early game and it was an early day of, of a lot of things. And I remember seeing someone who, um, from years back in a sort of, um, you know, it was actually, a, I used to work at a camp, um, a sports camp for youngsters. And that's where I got into a lot of coaching. And I remember seeing this person who I didn't think had a high opinion of me at the time. And I remember, you know, feeling very cocky about myself and what I'd been accomplishing at the time. And I remember having a conversation with them and um, this very immature need to say, look at me now. And I hadn't really like achieved anything great, but look, I felt like it was better than what they were. So look at me now. And I remember for weeks, you know, and it was just a casual conversation. And, but I remember for weeks thinking, that wasn't how I wanted it to come out. And why did I feel the need to do that? And inevitably it all came back to, well, you were, you had been into the scotch. And, you know, I remember I think three weeks after that incident, sitting down with my girlfriend at the time, now wife, and said, I think I want to stop. And she was incredibly supportive. 
and I've never looked back. It's been challenging, but um, it has been the most beautiful experience of my life to be open emotionally, open mentally, um, and I think has spurred a lot of my focus to do things for others, that I, I wasted a lot of time in my adult life only thinking about myself, only thinking about the bottom of a bottle, rather than thinking about what you can do for other people. And so I work like I'm repaying a debt, like I, I, and I feel like I have to. I don't know if it's sustainable, but it's certainly informed a heck of a lot of, of what I'm doing now. Rock bottom or an epiphany? I think, um, I think epiphany. Like I think that rock bottom for me was always the risk of you're going to do something that you can never come back from. Right. That, I think that for me right. would have been rock bottom and it was a line that I, I played with often. And I was lucky enough to never um, have to experience that. And I was lucky enough that for people in my life, I, I never got to a place where I did something that I couldn't take back. Um, but, but epiphany, certainly. And again, like you read things about people. Um, you, you, you talk to people. And you and I remember at the time, uh, another person that I was very very fond of is an actor, uh, Bradley Cooper. Sure. And he was this guy in like B list movies who you know, despite what people didn't know at the time, you know, had a master's degree. He had gone to Georgetown and then did a master's degree at the Actors Studio, and you know, was in all of these sort of B list movies. Got a very lucky break with the the, the Hangover, and then all of a sudden had sort of shifted himself into being nominated for an Oscar three years in a row, which is like a feat I think only De Niro or Pacino had done. Right. And how did this guy come out of nowhere? Well, you know, you dig in a little bit and he said, you know, I reached a sort of epiphany moment and said, I don't want to do this anymore. And I got clean and I don't think anyone knew he had a drinking issue. And I don't think when people, um, you know, meet me, I don't think they ever know that I have this kind of past, but the beauty that he described about just being present. Like I can actually sit here with you, Rob, talk, talk about these issues and be in the moment and be here was something I would have never had access to before. I could not even imagine being with my son or being with my wife if I didn't have fully the access to the, the emotions and, and my brain in a way that I could you know, do as much of the right things as I can at the time. So Definitely, you know, um, definitely an epiphany for me. Well, with Jason Rivera, both of us are Sport Calgary directors. Sport Calgary members have access to resources such as marketing on social media, blog entries, features, and placement on the events listing. Become a member. It's easy and free. Visit sportcalgary.ca slash members. Um, so you you leave high school. You go to McMaster. Yeah. What's As you're starting at McMaster, what are you thinking? Where are you going? What are you taking? What's What's... What's yeah. four or five years down the road for you? <clears throat> yeah, so this, you know, I, I don't. I think I was at the time thinking of, hey, I can be a, a lawyer. Maybe that's a good profession. Yeah. I, I think at the time, and hey, you know, my, my obsession was the easiest path or the least path of resistance. So it was, oh, to be a lawyer and to write the LSATs, you you can be from any degree. You could take music, you could do whatever. So like this first year, I think I took film, um, you know, commerce, history, like this hodgepodge <laughs> of things, largely driven by. I think, you know, uh, you know, maybe the girl I was sweet on at the, at the time yep. or my buddies. And I think the other thing I really missed out on, um, and not good, not, that's not an indictment of McMaster was I commuted. So, um, while I, you know, was able to keep some of the same friends from high school and move and do this together, I really, um, missed out, I think on the experience 
um, of being on the campus, sure. being involved, sure. being engaged. And it was only later on that because of my sports background, they, you know, I was able to get a job at a uh, sports fitness school at Mac where I was able to coach and, you know, in particular found a very, very deep affection and affinity for working with um, children with um, mental and physical disabilities. But prior to that, it was just like, hey, I'm going to do what I can to get by. I remember, you know, it's funny to think in retrospect, you know, I'm closing on my PhD, but after my first year, I was put on academic probation. Um, uh, I left to go to, and it, this doesn't feature on my CV, I actually left for a year to go up to Mohawk College with a friend um, uh, because I wanted to be a financial planner, I thought at the time. Mm -hmm. And I think very quickly realized um, within two weeks, you know, you, you, you should be at university. Like this is you copping out and just going along with, uh, with your friends at the time. And so I, I partied a bit, came back to Mac, I think wasted again that other year, I ended up canceling all of my courses. And then finally, just sort of through sport, actually, that coaching experience for me, working with those kids, yeah. I said, education is it. Um, education, the, the idea that I get to, to, to you know, be seen as a thought leader and to be helping kids was just super, super appealing to me. But what was challenging at the time, and you go back into governance and policy, mm -hmm. I remember going back to my high school um, um, and just doing some volunteering because I told my my teacher at the time, hey, I'm thinking about doing this. And a teacher came um, up to me and, um, that I hadn't seen in years. And he said to me, he said, what are you doing here? And I said, oh, I'm, I'm just volunteering with uh, Mr. So-and-so. I'm thinking about going to teacher's college. And the disappointment in his eyes was just shocking to me. He said to me, you could have been anything. You could have been a doctor. You could have been a lawyer. And I always resented that sentiment that somehow being a teacher was seen as less than, even from a current teacher. Gotcha. And, yeah. and so from that point on, I said, no, I, I think education is this really valuable thing. I think it impacts our economy. I think it impacts you know community well-being. I think it impacts sport. And I'm going to push it to the limit. Um, and that's when, you know, I made the decision to go to, to teacher's college in, in Toronto and, and really dial up, I think my, my level of focus, I wasn't fully there yet in terms of sobriety and stuff, but at least I knew that that's where I wanted to head. Were you, were you conscious of that time you were, does one know that they're becoming an academic? I mean, there's a number. Of, there's a number of us that go to school. We get our degree and we move move on our profession. And and you know, I'm skipping a bit ahead here. But at that time, do you feel like more is going to be? You know, you're going to have this thirst for more. No, I think I think in some sense, you you know, the thing that I adopted, and again from sport, um, you know, Cristiano Ronaldo, I think is is one of the most fascinating figures, and I think you know. Um, uh, having the 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 Portuguese in the in the blood sort of has me focused in on on him, but sure. he he had this this one quote about being undeniable, and I think the appeal for me in academia later on, I didn't know it at the time, was you know what you've 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 really tested the line around your reputation and what people think of you at the time, um, you know not just not being present and coasting and people having thinking that you've settled for this, yeah, you know what, what was appealing to you, and I think the appeal was being undeniable. That was, and I didn't know what that meant, but academia provided this, this, this on-ramp to, I thought, being um, undeniable. It was, oh, if I have this letter associated with my name, you can't take that away from me. Right. If I have, um, um, uh, in academia, it's also very um, aligned with sports. 
you know, you have a certain amount of awards, you have certain publications, they're, exactly. they're trophies, right? Yeah. It's this, and I, and that's the only thing I think that really distinguished me from being successful. Like, I don't think I'm uh, brighter than anyone. I think there's just these really, really talented people that, that work as thought leaders and are frankly better academics than me. But where I was better was I, I treated it like a sport. I said, I'm going to go all in, I'm going to work day and night, and I'm going to get all the trophies. And um, that, I think at the time, was the the motivator. So that undeniable feature was there, but I didn't know it was, oh, publishing, getting involved in all these things, winning these awards, getting these grants, getting recognition from professional bodies that that make sure that, hey, you're on the right track. Yep. That, I think, came, uh, came later. <laughs> I want to get to Calgary in a second. But I do need to know because you brought up Mohawk. So, exactly how many post-secondary institutions are you connected to? Yeah, great question. So, I went to Mac um, for a year, left, went to Mohawk. I, I don't uh, think I even got a credit. Like, I, I left the yeah. like after a semester, went back to Mac. I think closed out uh, my degree, and the only way I was able to do that was because of the. Um, I think pity, uh, you know, one career counselor took on me. <laughs> it's like, look. If you can demonstrate to me that you didn't even attend these classes, really, and this was like a pathetic moment, I think, in my life. If you can tell me, show me that you didn't attend these classes or that you didn't even write the exams, um, then then I'll cancel the courses so it doesn't impact your future steps. And so I had to go to professors and say, hey, by the way, I didn't write the exam for your class. I didn't actually show up. Can you can you tell that to the career counselor so they can cancel my courses? So I ended up in my last two years taking like no electives, all core subjects in history, and I think it was religious studies at the time. Graduated um, with an honors degree, went to York University, did my teacher's college there um, in Toronto, uh, went to Brock University, did my master's of uh, administration and leadership in education. Uh, over um, periods of time, I've taken additional qualifications, courses, you know, at, at Queen's University, at others, I got a professional management certificate as well at Brock as I was finishing my master's. And then, you know, the opportunity to work with this incredible academic who to this day is my supervisor presented itself, who the appeal was to me, had private sector experience, had been in the energy industry for a number of years and done extremely well, yep. and then hung it up, did something completely different, you know, I think mid, um, mid-career at 40, and decided to become a teacher superintendent and now this leading global scholar straddling the lines between hey this is where business and organizations are heading hey this is what education needs to 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 be cognizant of and how does that package up and inform cities and governance i said yeah i'll move across the country to 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 be with uh be with that guy and so those are those are the affiliations as they uh exist now so you come to calgary um your then wife or soon-to-be wife comes to so it's a family move? Yeah. So, yeah, at the time, you know, we I, I think we didn't know where we would sort of end up. I think it was a huge change for me to move, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, she was still finishing up her master's at uh, Western University. Um, and so I, I I actually at the time was, was living in downtown Toronto. I used to spend my summers living downtown. And before Calgary and before all the repping for Calgary, you know, it was very much Mr. Toronto. Um, and I actually you know, would fly back very often. I didn't know a single person. I knew one guy um, that helped me move out here. I got my apartment sight unseen, Calgary Place Apartments, uh, right next to formerly known Crack Max. Um, you know, I, I used to be, and I, I just rented it sight unseen. I didn't know anybody. I used to go to my classes. I used to go to the gym and I would come home. 
and um, and do that, rinse and repeat over and over and over again. And I would fly back very often, but it was after about a year here. And I actually didn't get really involved because I didn't see myself here long-term, but it was actually after about a year and change when I, I started to sort of put myself into the community a little bit more and have the community slowly be revealed to me. And at that time, that's when I think I told my, my girlfriend, now wife, like, I think this is it. Like, I think, I think I've never felt, you know, we talked about all my, you know, mm -hmm. affiliations it's yep. in Ontario. I've never felt at home there. Um, I don't know what it is. Um, I think my challenge, you know, especially in the times that we find ourselves in now, I think my parents and myself growing up faced a good amount of, of racism. It was, you know, you know, I'm going so, you know, part uh, East Indian, part Portuguese. Um, and then I grew up in an entirely Italian and Croatian community. You know, I think it was very hard for my parents. It was very hard to internalize. And so when I think back to those times, there's always the scar that I think is really challenging, uh, really challenging for me. And so Toronto was this beautiful experience because it was just like, it's so diverse sure. that you didn't really give it a second thought. Yep. Calgary, when I came here, um, Every it was like a clean slate. It, like it didn't matter. Like it didn't. It, I, it was so weird. And, and it's not to say that, of course, these challenges exist. Yeah. And and yes, I'm a grown man. And you know maybe I pass as as you know uh, white or mixed race or whatever the case may be. Um, that's that's a that's a privilege I can I can um, sort of have as an adult. But I just felt like this is a clean slate of just really amazing people who seem to just want to do incredible things for the community. And I think that's when I made the call and slowly but surely my wife wrapped her head around it. And luckily she was able to get accepted for her PhD as well at the university of Calgary. And here we are. Yeah, it, well, yeah, but it's, it's, to me, it's an amazing story because if you came here, but you were just going, coming home, going, coming home, you know, that that's wasted time of your Calgary experience. So in, in right. how you have exploded to me onto the scene here is the real story. What's the catalyst? Is there? A, is it a person? Is it a moment? What? What? I mean, how do you go from being essentially a shut-in to now this city's biggest advocate? No, you're very, very kind, and I consider you right, right up there. Look, um, I think there's a couple things. Like the first is, um, I found myself very in tune with the city. Hmm. Like I found myself very in tune with this sort of entrepreneurial spirit that you know, um, is yours, like everything here in the West is sort of yours for the taking. And the, the trade-off in that is that you give back. And so if that's, if these are the models, which with Calgary and Alberta has been built upon, um, if you, if you hit that moment, right, you'll, you'll be sort of rewarded for it in some way, whether that is, um, you know, people will look to you in a particular way, or you'll be, you know, you'll have access to conversations about the future of this city. I think that's, that's all well and good, but I think the, the important part as well, not just matching the DNA or the moment in the city, but I think is the kindness of people. Like I can trace back um, every sort of, I think, professional or personal, um, you know, good thing that's happened since I've been here to a number of people. Right. And it's maybe it was just a coffee. Maybe it was an opportunity. Um, and, and I think maybe if it was even a lack of ego. Right. Like it, I think for a lot of people to welcome someone in or new and sometimes you don't know what their intentions are. You have to be very secure yeah. to be able to do that. And so I think for me going forward, that's the, the obsession that I, I I want to instill in everyone I come into contact with is 
we need to be incredibly secure that there are just these really smart people. It doesn't have to be yours or mine. It can be ours. And let's bring you into the fold. Let's tap into all the potential you have. And, you know, I've been very, very fortunate to have come into contact with a number of people that I think have, have certainly um, accelerated that. I don't think it's, it's, it's me on my own, for sure. So I want to kind of jump ahead to our first meeting. And, and, it was re- and it involves this platform, to be perfectly honest. One of the first podcasts that we ever right. did for Sport Calgary was Murray and Katrina said, you really got to talk to this guy. Love to, because it was about the Olympics, right? It was about the Olympic bid. Yeah. Tell me about that experience. Tell me about, I mean, were you what we would call a community organizer? How, how did you view what you did, your role in, in, in trying to bring that conversation to Calgarians? Yeah, you know, I think fondly about that first uh, conversation at the Sport Calgary offices. Um, and we touched on a bit of these things, but it's been nice to get into to more depth. Um, you know, th- there was no plan, right? Like, I, I think that I'd... I'd started to be involved in um, uh, boards and volunteer positions and uh, community um, activities that were talking about, mm. you know, what does Calgary need? And I think I was just getting comfortable in um, talking about, you know, what I hoped for and what I, um, you know, had saw as the city's city's potential. And, you know, what really organically happened, I think it was like a text thread amongst a number of, of people across all political stripes, across you know, experience, young, old, uh, everything in between of just people saying, you know, this is the way the conversation is tracking. Do you think that that's the way the conversation should be? And it really was, again, about process and every little um, uh, nitty bitty detail rather than the outcome or the potential or the possibility. And being outcomes focused, I said, oh, that's really cool. And so we ended up meeting, I think, in um, uh, a restaurant or, or someone's uh, sort of office, and there was like 40 people there. And just like saying, hey, you're involved in sport, community, you know, politics, community advocacy, academia, ton of people here. Do you think that this is an interesting conversation to have? And do you think that we, from a community perspective, can shape a better outcome? And that outcome might be, you know, undetermined at this time because we don't have any say in the matter. And so I think I was the beneficiary of a lot of trust from people who I think had seen me speak or had seen me um, um, uh, be involved in the community. But also I think it's because I was kind of newer on the scene. Like I, I had less baggage, I guess, right? So there was, there was a lot of pragmatic, but it wasn't, there was no central decision. It was, hey, they want to talk to someone. Who do they talk to? And it's like, oh, well, there's this kid, you know, he seems to, to know what he's talking about you know, very passionate about sport, very passionate about Calgary, and uh, has some time on his hands, um, is also, you know, very, you know, eager to volunteer um, his complete time for zero pay, which I didn't even consider at the time. And, um, and, and he's like fresh in terms of his perspective. So that's what, like, it was one interview. And then it was like, oh, there's like a second interview and a third interview or, yeah. you know, this community association wants to talk to you. This sports league wants to talk to you. And then it just took off. And I didn't, I, I think at the time, I think it would take off to that degree. But I remember, you know, and we talk about sports being very comfortable, like being very in the moment. There was not a, a moment in time as even as intense as it gets when there's like, you know, dozens and dozens of cameras in your face and whatever. I remember just feeling very comfortable because I felt as though, I wasn't selling anything. I wasn't, you know, I didn't predetermine the outcome. 
I wanted to have this a thoughtful conversation, good, bad, and indifferent, yep. about the future of our city, um, and hopefully elevate that conversation. So, I'm, an immense privilege to be a part of. Again, with that theme of of sport, it doesn't pass. If you want, it fails. What we learn from our failures, we 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 you know again to go back to the last dance, right? You know, you look at that losing to the Pistons. What did that do to Jordan, right? You know, or how did that inform him? What did you? learn from that experience what has how has that experience informed you moving forward yeah like I, i'm you know, this this is i think challenging for some people to to hear who were very involved in this you know i made my peace the next day with it mm-hmm. um like I, I i haven't really gone back to think about it like i really hmm. I, I had a good assessment of it you know within 24 hours and made my peace with it the next day look I, I operate under the simple, simple premise of um, voters are never wrong. Voters are never wrong. Like there's, there's no way you can go to people and say, no, you, you got it wrong. It's voters are voters and they, they vote their, what matters to them, what, what, how informed they are, what their personal sort of perspectives are, where they are in life. And they're never wrong. Um, I think what for me was incredibly challenging about the experience was um not being in control, right? Like, and I think that's, oh, yeah. that's a huge issue is I can do as much as I can within the sandbox that I have, which is in, you know, getting information out there, building trust within community, trying to, I think, tone down, I think, the rhetoric of, you know, complete and utter sort of boosterism and complete and utter cynicism to just really say, look, there are reasons to vote yes and there are reasons to vote no. And there's reasons to actually, frankly, not care about this overall. Yep. I happen to think the reasons to vote yes outweigh the no. And here's why. Um, and let's have a discussion about that. So for me, you know, it not passing, I think there's, again, you can go back and say, well, because of COVID, you know, what, what would this have been like? And, and I think that's not productive. But I think on where our city is and the outcomes that that would have provided, uh, particularly on the same issue of we still struggle, I think, in this transition from smaller city and municipality to global city. Um, We're still in this transition period. And there's only a few things that you can do at that time. You can really sort of retract back to, okay, no, let's literally think about just the basics and think about things at a simpler time when things were simpler and try and make this feel as though it's still that city of 600,000. You can stay in sort of uh, this liminal period of trying to define what that is, and I don't know how long that will last. Or you can do these bold things that may accelerate your transition. And that comes with challenges for a lot of people who are hurting locally or have fond memories of what is a simpler time or, or, or focusing on the essentials. I can get how this mechanism might have seemed frivolous or might have seemed trivial at the time or might have seemed overly focused on you know, high-performance competitive sport. Right. But I think that if, if we focus on the outcomes of bringing our city together, you know, reinvesting in infrastructure that, you know, we receive tax benefits from that is not going to pay for itself going forward, which will force very tough conversations. And then I think at the, the, the very core element of the fact that as much as we love this city within our bones, there are a ton of people in the world that don't know about it. And as we're fighting for, I think, a greater narrative and awareness of our uh, leadership that concerns energy, as we're fighting for a greater understanding of the community resiliency 
and acceptance and openness in times of very, very, um, I think, uh, important but challenging conversations on inclusion um, and and anti-Black racism in particular, this would have been a time to say, look, you've got seven years to get your house in order. What foot forward do you want to present to the world um, when you have the, uh, the privilege of capturing its attention? I think that that would have been an incredibly beautiful thing to serve a multitude of different people's best interests. But at the same point in time, made my peace with it the next day. It just because with all those things are wholly achievable. Let's just try and find the different moments and opportunities that are going to come before us to get there. Now, I don't want to relitigate it, but the fact that you have twice emphasized the fact that, okay, it's over. I'm good. I'm moving on. See, I think the deck was st- now I'm not going to try to portray myself as being, I, I was an opinion maker in this for what brief time I was in it. I was not a journalist. I was willing to give both sides, you know, that was the one thing that bothered me is your yes side was always willing to talk. The no side wasn't, you know, they, they, later on is that we got closer to the election or the, pardon me, the, the vote. Yeah. What I feel like, Jason, was the deck was always stacked against you. You said you wanted an open on it. Don't want the, you know, don't want the pomp and circumstance, you know, just let's have a conversation. And I feel the deck was stacked at uh, just from the standpoint that we don't right now in society, we don't have an ability to have that conversation. We are too partisan. We are, you know, to your point in that whole argument was, you know, the no side would say, well, what about this? And the yes side would say, well, here's the information. And then the no side would say, well, we don't trust that information. That's your information, right? I, I just don't think, I just, right from the get-go, I think the deck was stacked. Yeah, I, I think that's, that's um, you know, for, for me, I, I go back to the Jordan rules conversation, yeah. right? Like yeah. I, and I, I go back to, um, you know, I think, I, I think that the, the pressure that is often put on, you know, these, these incredibly high performing athletes, mm-hmm. um, you know, does LeBron get as many calls as he should, mm-hmm. right? Like I, I, and I'm, and I'm not in any way equating myself to that perspective, but in, in adopting that their ethos, um, I, for me, I make no excuses. Like it, it is what it is. Plebiscites are challenging tools, right? Like yep. they, yep. You, d- you know, depending on how they're rolled out, they can certainly just by the very nature of that tool favor one outcome or another. Um, uh, the runway in terms of, you know, when the deal came, how close we were. Look, this the only silver lining I point to in all of this mm. was, was the vote swing between the advanced vote and the, the final vote. I don't think you've seen a vote swing like that. And I even forget the, the the numbers, but I think it was something like 31% to, to 49. Yeah. It was really like dramatic. That. Yeah. 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 Like just in, you know, my former life as a broadcaster for CBC and commenting on politics, like that's astounding. Yeah. Um, and so you could make the argument, look, you run, you run out of runway. You, you could, you, you could have won with a couple of days or three days or whatever, but all in all, I think about the, that perspective in its entirety. And our mutual friend, uh, David Finch and David Legg, did an analysis on, on this that I think is helpful yep. around, okay, um, at its very simplest, you can say, no one, yes, lost. Um, but uh, when you dig a little bit deeper it's, and saying, okay, if we ever find ourselves here in the future, forget about whether it's uh, the Olympics or it could be infrastructure, it could be another really big decision our city needs to make. 
do we want to set up a better conversation? Mm-hmm. Um, and what do we need to do upfront to be able to do that? Those solution-oriented uh, sort of outcomes-focused things are where I see um, um, you know, my focus being attended to in, in, in the future. Um, but like I said, throw every barrier in front of me, like, you know, throw all these things, stack the deck, do what you need to do. I'm going to be as, as accountable and responsible as I can be for what I can control. And hopefully, and, and I had the privilege of working with just like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of uh, volunteers, you know, our wonderful board chair at Sport Calgary and um, Mary Moran. CEO of, of Calgary Economic Development, yeah. um, Mary, who the mentorship I think that she provided and leadership she provided, I think at the time was was you know astonishing. And Scott uh, Hutchison, I have a lot of yep. a lot of admiration for. And so I think we we move on. Our, our motto in our city is sort of onward, and we just hope that the, the the path that we move forward or onward towards is is better than the one that we left. I am a, a a huge fan of it. I think it's the most important thing going. It, I spent a lot of time looking at it. I spent a lot of time pontificating on it. And I, I think leadership is such an incredible topic. But I tend to be more of a, I'll share this meme on leadership. You are educated in it. This is what your life's work is around, is is leadership. What, where are we at? Like, I, I, I just, and I know you're a coach and have coached in the past, I don't think that there is anything more important than teaching young athletes about leadership and and the, the, the tenants that are around leadership. You're working at it in the real world. Give me a 2020 as we head into July, Jason Ribeiro assessment of the, the status of leadership in the world. If that isn't a giant question with many answers. <laughs> No, it's 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 one I, I'm happy to, to to bite off a chunk of. Look, um, it's it's an interesting time, right? Like I think, from a leadership perspective, every ten years or so, you see a revision um, from a business perspective, in particular, of what we think works. And and the reason that's so important is because the world has changed, mm. um, and. And you need to be able to update your models or the way that you think about these things to match where you are. And and what's challenging to me about leadership is we do still romanticize um, in many ways the sort of dictatorial strongman approach to leadership. Hmm. And that has all kinds of complications with it, you know. You know, authoritative versus uh, you're more of a player's coach. Um, you know, the idea that when I think about that, you know, it's often the vision is a is a white male. Versus, you know, what amazing strides we're seeing in the NBA um, and and hopefully, you know, the first female female coach, um, but also as well in front office positions like with the with the Leafs and Haley. But what I what I think is, is super important for us to realize is that we want people to invest and experience the benefit of sport for the long run. Right. And I think we're having really, really important conversations as it pertains to sport about people being burnt out about people talking about what has been an unhealthy environment for them. Some of these players tribune articles have shown light on this, but for many of us involved in the sports world, we've known this for a period of time and this is an age of reckoning. And I think that this age of reckoning is happening in the public square. It's happening in corporate leadership. It's happening in buying the benches in sports. And so in terms of the state of where we are and where we're headed, I, I don't think there's a way around acknowledging the point of reckoning we are at. And this is not a storm to weather. 
This is a storm to batten down the hatches and really dig deep on what it is we need to lead. Um, we can romanticize the need that, hey, you need to bleed to lead. I don't know that that's true anymore. I, I think that leading is increasingly going to be about partnerships. I think leading is going to be uh, incredibly focused on sustainability in the future. You used to be able to turn the dials on a player uh, and knowing that you could really, really give it to them for eight months or six months and then say, hey, it'll all be worth it because you'll get some reward in the end. And then we'll walk away for a period of time for you to clear your head. Yeah. But when you come back at spring training, we're, you know, school is in session. I think we're going to have to figure out this longer term sustainability um, for leadership. And then the last thing I'll mention, and uh, I know that um, our colleagues in the chamber are, are doing a talk on this, uh, I think next week, but really around ethical leadership. Mm -hmm. um, if I need to respect my coach, it is not about do as I say, not as I do. It is not going to be about, hey, you played a particular way. Why are you telling us to play something differently, especially if they're like most coaches, they're former players. Um, ethical leadership is going to be increasingly important. I need to respect Rob Kerr as a man before I can respect Rob Kerr as an announcer. Yep. I used to, in our, in our models, we used to be able to separate the two. That's hey, right. Yep. Rob Kerr, he's this guy, he's that guy or whatever, but what an amazing announcer. No, I, I when this heightened level of authenticity requires me to know that Rob Kerr is a person that I respect as a Calgarian, as a man, as a father, as a husband, and, and, he, and because of that, he has access to this immense amount of tools that makes him an incredible announcer, an incredible board director, et cetera, et cetera, um, uh, and an incredible leader within, a, within an, an, a sports administration. That is what I think we, we will not be able to escape one. And frankly, I look forward to that um, because I think the, the winners are parents, the winners are community, and the winners are ultimately players that you want to not turn away from sport but have these fond uh, conversations uh, 15 years later that say, wow, I, I owe everything that I have in my professional life and my personal life to all of these amazing experiences through sport. Do we do we need to be pressuring sports organizations, sports governing bodies to buy into this, or is it, ha is it going to happen on its own organically? That's, it's a fascinating question, right? It's chicken or egg, and I think it's not just in sport. It's within any sort of... Uh, What's well, the know, storm you're talking about, right? Like, we're in a storm yeah. right now, so... Yeah, and 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 also, look, I, I think from a, a philosophy that guides the work that I do, I'm, 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 uh, I'm not a free marketer in that sense, but I, I do think, like, look, this is what's happening within the market. Like, customer preferences are changing. Yeah, People are voting with the dollars that they have about, hey, if you're not an organization that I can support, and I'm talking about a sports franchise, I'm not going to buy tickets to your game. And people are using that agency very quickly. So I think you will see a market correction where, you know, you saw what the NFL did a couple of days ago, uh, Roger Goodell yep. and both the NFL committing dollars and acknowledging mistakes that they've made. Look, at, at its most cynical, I can talk about, look, that's a market correction that has happened. And there's no going back, and they need to protect um, what could be a very challenging profit cycle for them if they don't. But also, I could I could say that there's the benefit of the doubt to say they've realized they're wrong. Mm -hmm. they're, they could not have done what they've done, and they're going to do what they can to reconcile it. So I am confident that the, enough um, public pressure is mounting to do that. But it for me, it's been this whole experience of the past couple months has been incredibly unique for me because – 
I quite honestly um, have never seen myself as, as even though I'm an uh, advocate and, and try to rally the community around and will show up at the steps of whatever corridor of power I need to, um, I've always been challenged by um, protests without an end. Like, I, what is the end outcome? Where do we go? And, you know, the, the former president of the United States, Barack Obama, has said, you know, that's great public pressure. Now organize, now vote. I used to just skip to organize and vote and gotcha. those kinds of things. Yeah. But this moment has shown that keeping pressure can result in much needed change. And we can make a very good argument that without that mounting public pressure, we might not be here. And what we hope is where we are and where we're going to be is a better place than where we started from. And so I have a deep appreciation, um, increasingly so, and the public, I think, has, has realized this, you know, the world over, for the Black Lives Matter movement, for these conversations, not just about acknowledging racism, but uh, acknowledging the need to be anti-racist. Um, and so I, I think that this is ultimately a positive step moving forward that different organizations will take up differently but I think it all comes down to as a result of that public pressure that has mounted. Two more for you. Um, not what uh, you think, not what you could, not what you should. Where do you want to be 10 years from now, Jason? Oh, wow. You know, one of, one of the, the things about being so focused on um, what I can do now, right? Mm -hmm. And feeling like I'm working off that debt and all of the stuff I talked about earlier is, you know, I rarely think about that, right? Like I rarely... Oh, we never do. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, but what I, I, I do know is that there are central tenets, and I don't know where this may take me, you know, I, I just know there are central tenets to 10 years from now. And the first is that I will be the father of a 10-year-old son, <laughs> And maybe others. That's awesome. And I hope that as as much energy as I put into um, community and my career and trying to make impact and make a difference, I hope that I keep that obsession about my son and any other children that I have. I hope that I just want to dive into that all, um, uh, both feet in. And so 10 years from now, I hope that you know, I'm someone that I can can be looked upon as a good father, as a good husband. Um, but in terms of of anything else, I just want to create impact for for others. Like it sounds overly earnest, but again, like until I shake this need to like make up for this lost time, or you know, frankly, like I didn't touch upon this, but like I was not a good guy during that time before. Like I just, yeah. it wasn't just hey, he's, he's operating at seventy percent. Like I was just not a good guy. I'm, I would not have lived up to this mandate of ethical leadership at the time. And so I just hope that this that focus has been sustained um, for for the next ten years, and that I found you know increasingly opportunities to continue to drive the dialogue, create impact, and hopefully open the door for others. You know, it's not good enough for me that I get to have been in this really privileged position of being in these conversations and being at the table. If I'm the only one there, you know, I'm often the youngest person in the room. I'm often the only one of mixed race in the room. If, if I can't blow open the doors for others um, that look like me that are of my age and background, then this is for not. So I just hope that 10 years from now, some of that success um, has been realized, not just by me and my family, but by others. All right, my last one for you. Uh, no uh, parameters. Answer it any way you want. Give me your hidden Calgary gem. 
Ooh, interesting. Hidden Calgary gem. You know, I think that um, what's been interesting in the past um, few years that I've been here, and it's it's been like this growing change, and I think it's very much realized in downtown, but I don't think realized by others. You know, part what when I got clean and sober, you know, I also, you know, I was still very active. I was playing sports and stuff, but one of the, the couple of things that I, I did was um, I started meditating daily, hmm. and I... Um, uh, became a vegetarian and then slowly moved to becoming a vegan. And I think it was also, you know, yes, there are ethical reasons for, for why I did it, but it was, again, super sports informed, like competitive, like, let me, let me make this more difficult in my <laughs> life. Let, let me introduce something that, you know, sure. is more restrictive, more disciplined, and let me see if I can do it. And, you know, a lot of people in my circle said, you're not going to last with this. Like, you don't, like I was a foodie. I would go out and do all this stuff. Yeah. But um, when I moved to Calgary, uh, being in Toronto, it used to be very easy to go, mm-hmm. um, you know, get all these foods. But, you know, it became increasingly difficult when I was here. The hidden gems that I'll just say are, and, and I also at the time was like, I saw LeBron go plant-based. I saw Ben Gordon was one of the first NBA players to go plant-based and others. Um, and so I still am to this day. The hidden gems I'll say are like just unbelievable, like uh, vegan and vegetarian places in this city that you would not, I defy anyone who has their own preconceptions about this, just unbelievable food. And like, so those are your uh, 10-foot Henry's, uh, those are your street eateries. Um, I highly recommend those to, to listeners because, you know, I've had a KFC bowl, I couldn't tell the difference. 10-foot Henry, I think you just named one of Canada's yeah. best 100 restaurants. Yeah, it is, yeah. You know, yeah. so I would encourage all the listeners to, because that was not there when I came here and it was very difficult. But these hidden gems are, increasingly all of these more inclusive plant-based restaurants that I highly recommend over the summer uh, listeners go out and check out. Awesome. This was so much fun. I'm glad we finally did it. I knew we were going to, but I'm glad we finally did it. And I just, uh, you know, I gave your resume at the beginning and I'll back it up when we were done here, but I want people to know that like you and I sit on a couple boards together. We, the most important moment for me about Jason Ribeiro was this past fall, there was a little volunteer fair downtown and we were running a booth and you walked in and we talked and you sat down behind the table and you were working that same booth. You walked the walk, dude. We talk about leadership and, and where it's going. It's so important to me to have people like you around because there's lots of people that, oh, I'll sit on a board, I'll do this, and I'm not taking anything away. But we need more people who are sitting on boards, helping make decisions, who are in the community, who are right down, sitting behind those little tables, talking to people. So thank you for being you, dude. This has been so much fun. No, likewise, and and I'll say, you know, the only reason you're able to give that that kind of kudos is because Rob Kerr was there himself <laughs> behind a booth, helping out, uh, rolling up his sleeves. And so I, I just want to say, um, you've provided an incredible model for community engagement and leadership that as much as this has been about uh, me that, you know, I've quite personally uh, take, um, take to heart. And so I want to thank you for all that you do um, and, and providing this, this platform for, for a bunch of Calgarians to talk about important issues. But uh, you know, like right back at you is my sentiment on leadership. Best city in the world. Best city in the world. There you go. Uh, my friend, yours brand spanking new dad, which I thought was a great way to, 
kind of kick off that conversation. But um, a little bit of a redemption story there, I would say. Uh, one in progress. Uh, I set it off the top, and I'll back it up again. I, I just think the world of Jason, and I think he's a, a guy um, 10, 15 years from now, we're going to look back at this podcast and go, my gosh, we didn't know. Um, but he's he's a cool dude. Um, his heart's in the right place. And I just I just cannot say enough good things about Jason Ribeiro. Uh, if you haven't, uh, you know, necessarily been paying attention to some of the podcasts, go back and check. We've had some really good ones. Um, Akeem Haynes was awesome, if you haven't heard that podcast. Uh, Glenn Campbell was a really good podcast. Deb Matajichka was a really good podcast. Uh, Jermaine Franklin was a really good. Now I'm getting into the media, guys. So let me go. Um, who? Katrina LeMay Doan was our first podcast. She was fantastic. Boy, uh, there's been a lot of good ones. Go to Spotify, subscribe there. Go to Apple Podcasts, subscribe there. Uh, Want to thank Jason Ribeiro and thank you for stopping by. This has been an original six feet conversation podcast. I'm Rob Kerr for Sport Calgary.